The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. And I just want to mention and say thanks. Um, as I was gone last week and didn't get an opportunity to do it, to uh, Kathy Van Wee and her team, uh, Liz Grabowski and Karen Armstrong and Effie McKenzie and any others who helped out with the children's Easter party. I was so glad that uh, many uh, attended and it was a blessing. And also hi to Bob and Cindy Stein, uh, who are back from uh, the great state of Georgia. And uh, I can attest to something that they will tell you too. Spring said it would be here fully in about another month. So uh, we don't have that far to wait, right? Just just a little bit longer. Uh, Thank you for your prayers for Rhonda and I. We had a very restful uh, and necessary time with our son down in uh, the nation's capital. And um, thank you for your support and prayers. And I heard good things about uh, Eric Schaefer. And uh, now you get kind of the older version uh, this, this week. So that'll make some of you feel good. And others of you will be like, eh, the young guy. <laughs> get the young guy. I want to read our text for us this morning. It's a familiar text, uh, but nevertheless, I think important uh, to be reminded of as we continue on in our great celebration of Easter. Matthew 28, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb uh, with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up. And took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. The word of the Lord. With gentle voice, the angel gave The women tidings at the grave. Fear not, your master shall ye see. He goes before to Galilee. Then hastening on their eager way, the joyful tidings to convey, their Lord they met, their living Lord, and falling at his feet adored. The eleven, when they hear, with speed to Galilee forthwith proceed, 
that there once more they may behold the Lord's dear face as he foretold. That Easter tide was joy, with joy was bright, the sun shone out with fairer light, when to their longing eyes restored, the glad apostles saw their Lord. He bade them see his hands, his side, where yet the glorious wounds abide, the tokens true which made it plain, their Lord indeed was risen again. Jesus, the King of gentleness, do thou thyself our hearts possess, that we may give thee all our days the tribute of our grateful praise? O Lord of all, with us abide in this our joyful Eastertide. From every weapon death can wield thine own redeemed forever shield. That uh, fourth century hymn prayer written by the church father Ambrose of Milan is an example of how the church would celebrate the great 50 days of Easter and do so both as a historical reality and a present reality. Because it isn't enough that Jesus died and rose again in history, we need to know it in our day-to-day lives. And so Ambrose would pose the question, Jesus, King of gentleness, do thou thyself our hearts possess? And that's the question of the day, isn't it? That's the question for this room. Does the king of gentleness possess our hearts? So as we continue on with this 50-day celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, I, I want us to do it with a firmer grip and a clearer understanding of how Paul might think about it when he talks about the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love that comes to us in Jesus so that we might see how that love uniquely comes to us and restores us in the power of the risen Lord Christ. And so we're going to look at Matthew this week, and we need to look at it rather carefully and some of the details about how Matthew presents the resurrection of Jesus. Now, as with each of the gospel accounts, it's instructive to note that the women who were followers of Jesus were the first to meet the risen Lord. The women, of course, have come to the tomb and they came to anoint what they thought was going to be the dead, cold body of Jesus. That's what they thought they were coming to the tomb for. But instead of a dead, cold body, what they found was the warmth and the wonder of the risen Jesus who then said to them, do not be afraid, go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So so right from the start, we can see rather easily that although for different reasons, both the women and the brothers needed to be restored. It's, it's, um, it's encouraging to know that the place for the women to have their fear removed 
is at the tomb, the very place of hopelessness. That it was at the tomb that Jesus said, do not be afraid. But for the brothers, the disciples, they would have to indeed go to Galilee. In my Easter sermon from Mark's gospel, I pointed out that his emphasis was on what Jesus had spoken to his disciples just prior to his crucifixion. He said that the shepherd would be struck down. He was quoting from the prophet Zechariah and that the sheep would be scattered. But then Jesus adds something that's not in Zechariah. He said that after he was raised, he would go ahead of them, right? He would go ahead of them to Galilee. There they would meet them. And there he would put them back together. Mark says that's what Jesus told them. But Matthew has a little bit different emphasis than Mark. Matthew uh, records Jesus as telling the women to tell to the brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. There they will see me. I, I think we all have to admit that to see is not to believe. Although, uh, you know, Critics of the Christian faith would say something like, oh, if I could see Jesus, of course I would believe in him. And we know that's wholly not true. To see is not necessarily mean to believe. Many people at the trial uh, and, uh, of Jesus who were crying out, crucify him, crucify him, had seen Jesus perform miracle after miracle. They had heard him teach, and yet they did not believe. But for the women that morning who came to the tomb, seeing indeed was believing. And as their fears are cared for by Jesus, they are restored at the tomb. And the obedience that you read about the women giving is the fruit of that restoration. If you want to know how fear uh, is removed as they meet Jesus. He speaks to them, don't be afraid. And then as that fear is removed, their obedience is given as they then go out as the first messengers to the resurrection of Jesus. But you know, as important as that is, and I do think it's important, I think there's something else, especially at this particular time, that we need to think about for just a moment. We need to see what Jesus did. He took a place of no hope, a tomb, a graveyard, and he turns it into a place brimming with hope, a place full of hope, a place where they were going to anoint a dead body becomes a place where now they worship and praise the risen Lord Christ. And I, I would urge you, I would exhort you to know and to think about and then to act upon the reality that the church should always be asking for Jesus to turn our hopelessness into hope. To take that place, wherever that place might be, in a place where it appears that nothing good could happen, a tomb but to see that more is going on behind the stone than people could see. And that Jesus then, stepping out of the tomb, 
turns hopelessness into hope. But, but there's something else that we need to note, and again, there's a slight difference between what the angels, uh, what the angels said uh, to the women and what Jesus said. Now, you'll have to excuse me. The older I get, the more my allergies uh, really I, I struggle with. And so this dry cough, and I hate coughing in this microphone. So, uh, uh, um, Mia, thank you. She delivered me some, some breath mints, not because she got up close talking to me and thought I needed them, but uh, because she knew it would help me. Mia was my angel a few weeks ago. Um, the angel said one thing to the women. Jesus said something slightly different. And it's very important we note this. The angel calls them disciples. He tells the women, go tell the disciples. But Jesus, what does he call them? Brothers. That's really important. It doesn't appear to be important, but it really is important. And so we shouldn't move past it too quickly. Because this is a way that we can reach higher and deeper and wider into God's love. Are you surprised that Jesus did not hold the failure of his disciples against them? Does that surprise you? I, I wonder, of course, because I think there are people who think they've sinned so much or failed so much that Jesus could never forgive them. And yet we have here clearly stated that the one who was sinned against is the one who is going to restore, and the relationship into which they are going to be restored is brothers. Not like, I forgive you, but I don't want to see you anymore. Like, I, yeah, I forgive you, you failed me, get out of here, I'm going to get some new, I'm going to get a new team. Go tell my brothers. It is here the greatness of Jesus is on full display. It is here we can see why his divine love, the king of shepherd, or the king of love, our shepherd is. His divine love is so needed. Because if the disciples take Jesus up on his offer and go to Galilee, what they will see is the one who endured suffering, who experienced complete abandonment, who entered into the darkness of death and yet still offers himself to them as the gift of love that they so desperately needed. How else would these men be restored from their failures unless Jesus steps in and does it? There is no other possible way for them to be recovered. Don't think you're beyond that grace. Don't think yourself to beyond that hope. You know, as we pull this story forward, then we need to ask, well, what about us? Are, are we able to be restored? And of course, the answer is yes. Yes, you and I, each and every day of our lives can be renewed, restored, put back together by God's great love poured out on us in Jesus Christ. These brothers who failed so miserably after they are restored and the Spirit descends and Jesus sends them out, they write, 
page after page of Holy Scripture to tell us that in fact they did meet with Jesus in Galilee. That they saw Jesus in his glorified, resurrected body and that the power of his restorative love did indeed pour out upon them. And as Tyler read a little bit ago, the one untimely born, the Saul of Tarsus, the one who was persecuting the church, he even met the risen Lord Christ in an entirely different way, but nevertheless, he himself was put back together. The Apostle Paul then says, I am what I am, but the grace of God toward me did not prove to be vain. These men experienced the king of gentleness. And that same king wants us to experience him as well. He wants us to go to Galilee and meet him. He wants us in our fears to see him in the place of hopelessness and to believe that he is able to do for us what he did for his disciples. Well, we might ask, well, what does that mean exactly? What does that look like? Well, you see, as we said earlier, Easter is both a historical event, it did happen in history, and it is a present reality that needs to continue to be happening day by day. You see, it isn't enough for us to say, He is risen. Hallelujah, He is risen. We also must be able to say, I have seen Jesus. I see him indeed. One of the pastors I enjoyed listening to in his preaching, uh, Jacob Smith, said in his Easter sermon that for the church to say, He is risen, He is risen indeed, isn't simply some liturgical acclamation. This is the literal claim of the Christian faith. That God in Christ has entered human history, bore our sin, and now has conquered death once for all. And he said to hold fast to that belief that everything Jesus said would happen to him did indeed happen. Christ did die in accordance with the scripture. Christ was buried. Christ rose again the third day in accordance with the scripture. You see, everything that Jesus taught was truthful. It was as he said it would be. And do I need to say it? Maybe I need to say it and remind you, Jesus is no liar. Jesus did not lie to his disciples. And Jesus is not lying to us today. And we must hold fast to this truth then that Easter is not just an historical event, but it is a present reality. So let me just push the pause button and make sure you understand what I mean when I say that we need to meet Jesus and we need to see Jesus in Galilee. I have a very specific thing in mind. I hope it will be useful. I've been saying it in a num number of sermons, so if it hasn't clicked yet, I hope maybe today will you know, be the day it clicks. But, but maybe first ask this question, where and what was Galilee for Jesus and for his disciples? Well, the region of Galilee was the place where Jesus did most of his teaching, 
and performed, of course, many of his miracles. For the disciples, Galilee was the place where Jesus first commissioned them and sent them out under his authority. And it was just north of the Sea of Galilee that Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? And of course, on that day, Peter got the answer right. Remember what he said? What? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So for three and a half years, or thereabout, Galilee was front and center in the ministry of Jesus and the life of the disciples. But now, Galilee is going to be the place where the disciples have to go and they have to own up to their failure. They have to meet the one that they, on the night he was betrayed, right, uh, ran off and denied, knowing. We have to ask this question, don't we? Where and what is Galilee for us? I mean, this is the point. If Easter is an historical reality and a present-day reality, then we have to keep asking this question, where is Galilee for us? This is what Ambrose asked in the hymn. Jesus, King of gentleness, do thou thyself our hearts possess. Where is your Galilee? place where you need to meet Jesus in your failures and find hope in your fear? Where's the place of hopelessness right now in your life? Where's the place that you need to hear Jesus say to you, I love you, I forgive you, and I'm here to heal you, to restore you? You know, as I look back on my 60 plus years in the church, I can tell you that I have been to Galilee with Jesus many times, many times. Early on as a young child, I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart. I was baptized. Some years later, I was at church camp in central Illinois in a revival where I and a number of other teens went forward and we met with Jesus and we surrendered our lives in service to him. And then some years later, it was in some of the deepest, darkest times of my life and my own failure when self-righteousness almost did me in and in a profound way, Jesus met with me and he restored me. And throughout my life, I have met with Jesus in Galilee in my failures and in a few times when I got the answer right, like Peter, right? I didn't hop up and down because I know that was just a moment, you know, that it was going to happen. But I'm telling you, I am telling you this. I'm telling you there is absolutely nothing better than knowing that the risen Lord still invites us, still invites me to come and see him in Galilee each and every day. Is that your experience? If Easter is a present-day reality, are you meeting him in the place of hopelessness? Are you meeting him in the place of failure? You know, for some, your experience uh, was like that of the women. They came to the tomb. Your Galilee is a place or a time that appeared completely hopeless, but you cried out to the Lord, and the Lord saved. 
And the Lord delivered. And the Lord helped. For others, it might have been in the quietness of your room late at night when you asked Jesus into your life. You prayed with your mom or your dad or your grandparents maybe or or perhaps it was in a church service. You, you went forward or you met with a pastor for counseling or you met with another Christian over coffee and there you met Jesus in the Galilee of your own life. But you know, I hope that it's every week when we gather together, when we come around his word, when we meet at his table, when we fellowship together at his people, I hope it's here in this place that we meet with Jesus. But of course, far more important maybe than an actual physical location, we must remember that Jesus is always desiring to meet us at our need. And he knows our needs so well. In spoken things that you hold on to, uh, the deep, dark things that you're pretty sure if people knew about you, they'd never want to be with you again, your long list of frustration the challenges and difficulties. You see, Jesus befriends us and he sits with us in our loneliness. He comforts us in the middle of the night through our tears and in our grief and in our suffering. And he comes to us in our doubts and he comes to us in our confusion. And he does for us just as he did for the women that day. He brings hope to a place of hopelessness. And he does for the disciples same thing for us. Meets us in our failures and restores us. Where's your Galilee? Where is the place you have met with Jesus? Where is the place you are meeting with Jesus? You know, if you have not met him, if there has not been that moment and that continued life with Jesus, I would urge you to deeply consider the question from the hymn, Jesus, King of gentleness, do thou thyself our hearts possess? And if you need help answering that question, please talk to me. I'll talk to some sister or brother in this room and let us help point you to the one Savior who alone is kind and loving above all others and the one who invites us into a relationship of love with him. Well, we need to give this story one last pull forward and again drop it into the present day and ask then, well, what does it mean for the church? What does it mean for the church? Well, I think again, we, we take our cue from the women because as they leave the tomb, uh, ready to go tell the disciples about the risen Christ, who do they meet? They meet Jesus. And what is the first thing that they do? They fall at his feet. And what do they do? They worship him. They worship him. And this is the great privilege that of the church. Gathered together each Sunday, which in its own unique way is in Easter. And we come in and we worship together. We sing our praises we present our stewardship as we return our financial gifts or our time and service in the church or in the encouragement, one for another, whatever it might be. We come and we worship. We take hold of Jesus once again and we see how wide and how broad and how deep 
the gospel is reached, that sitting in a room together, a room full of fear and a room full of failure, we've been put back together by Jesus and we worship him. These blessed women again had come to anoint what they thought was going to be the dead, cold body of Jesus. But instead, they now are empowered by Jesus to be both worshipers and what else? Witnesses of his resurrection. Go tell my brothers that I have risen and I'm ready to meet them in Galilee. Well, this is the message of Easter. And it is my prayer that we get a firmer grasp on it because it is quite an amazing thing to think that here we have the fearful and the doubters and the failures that together are forgiven and restored and loved by this great king of gentleness. No wonder the church designated the 50 days between Easter and Pentecost to be a feast, a celebration. Because what greater thing could we possibly celebrate than the risen Lord who meets us and says, greetings. <laughs> I'm here to remove your fear and to restore you from your failure. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. O Lord of all, with us abide in this our joyful Eastertide, from every weapon death can wield, thine own redeemed forever shield. Now, Father, I pray that we would prepare ourselves for this table by first and foremost asking you to discern in our lives where we need to perhaps confess sin or where we need to own up to failure, or where we come fearful, wondering if you can forgive, if you would meet with us, Lord Jesus. Renew us and strengthen us at this table to be your people empowered to worship and give witness to the risen Lord. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.